Welcome to the Positive Productivity Podcast, episode 192. Today's episode of the Positive Productivity Podcast is brought to you by the Positive Productivity Pod, created to empower entrepreneurs to achieve and appreciate personal and professional success without burnout. The pod offers weekly group coaching sessions, online courses, a private member community, and tons more. To learn more about the pod and to sign up, visit PositiveProductivityPod.com. See you on the inside. The Positive Productivity Podcast was created to empower entrepreneurs to achieve and appreciate personal and professional success. I'm your host, Kim Sutton, and if you're ready, let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of Positive Productivity. I'm so happy that you are here and I'm thrilled to introduce our guest today, Michael Lovett. Michael is the CEO of Breakfast Leadership Inc. Michael, thank you so much for joining us today. And I would love if you would introduce yourself even greater than how I just did it and tell the listeners a little bit about what you do. Glad to be here, Kim. Thank you very much. And thank you for the introduction. Uh, Yes, I am the Chief Executive Officer of Breakfast Leadership Inc. It's an organization that teaches leaders how to relearn or learn boundaries in their life. I had personal experience a little over eight years ago where I didn't have boundaries in my life and it nearly cost me everything. Uh, A real brief synopsis of what transpired. Um, I had a health scare, uh, which was a heart attack and 40 year olds are not supposed to have heart attacks. And then after that, uh, in a period of 369 days, I lost my job, my vehicle was repossessed, and my home was foreclosed. Uh, I often tell people if I had a dog, I probably would have lost that too. Yeah, wow. I should probably write a country song about this. <laughs> um, I think it would be beneficial. Um, it, it would be, it would, it would. So if you know anybody that uh, writes country music, uh, have them reach out to me. I'll be more than happy to have a discussion with them. Well, I'm in Ohio, so I could probably definitely help you get the hookup. That's true. Yeah, that's uh, that's definitely along the country music band for sure. So for me, I, one of the, and I'll give a little background on on what transpired. Back in 2007, I was hired as a an executive director for a multi-site medical clinic uh, that was opening, and I had zero healthcare experience at that time, but I also had a lot of startup experience, and I think that was one of the main reasons why. The organization picked me. Background story, I've had a few career reinventions. Originally was a public accountant for about 10 years, and then I went into the information technology world again for another 10 years. Uh, You'll probably notice a pattern here. And that was during the dot-com era, so it was absolutely craziness as far as work and opportunities. It was placed by a recruiter with a large organization, and literally three months later, the recruiters calling me to make sure that I'm immensely happy about working there because he had another place that he would like to place me. Uh, Those days are gone, but it was absolutely a zany time during those eras. 
And then after the dot-com era kind of came and went, um, obviously subsequent to uh, September 11th, I decided I needed to find something a little bit more stable. So I went back into kind of a hybrid world where I was an accountant and also in information technology. Moved to Canada in 2004, and then in 2007, the opportunity for the medical clinic opened up. And I applied because the the location of the clinic that I would be working out of was literally five minutes away. I was crossing the Windsor, Ontario, Detroit, Michigan border every day, so that was getting to be quite tiring after a while. So the opportunity came up. There was 85 people that applied for the role. And I was hired, and again, I had zero healthcare experience. So I had to learn a lot, uh, and I was responsible for recruiting physicians as well as hiring staff, navigating a site relocation, and working with medical vendors and suppliers and everything like that. It was a very, very chaotic start to my healthcare career. Uh, I was checking emails from 6 a.m. at night until 11 p.m. in the evening, seven days a week, because I was getting emails at 6 a.m. in the morning till 11 p.m. So I was setting myself up for a pretty significant uh, challenge, and that went on for a couple years, Uh, even to the point where it was fall of 2008, uh, the board of directors for the organization had noticed that I'd become a little bit irritable because I hadn't been relaxing and taking time for myself. I was just constantly going and pushing the envelope forward. To the point where they said, okay, we need you to take a week off in addition to vacation time, which I would normally take. We don't want you checking email. We don't want you working. Take a week off. So I stayed local and didn't check email for a week. And probably one of the biggest warning signs for me was I decided I'm going to go to the library and I'm going to read a book. Now, in my younger years, I used to read a lot. And in my later years, probably after college, uh, because you tend to read a lot of textbooks and whatnot while you're in university, I had kind of fallen off the reading bandwagon a little bit. So I thought, well, let me just go and I'll, I'll grab a book and I'll sit down and I'll start reading. I don't remember what book I picked, but it was probably somewhere along the lines in the business area. But I do remember sitting down in a chair and trying to read and I couldn't relax myself to read the book. I should have noticed that as being a gigantic warning sign, but I didn't. Fast forward to May 2009, um, and I started experiencing some chest pains, and I thought it was because I was working with an electric lawnmower. Uh, My lawn in the front yard was rather small, so I had an electric lawnmower instead of a gas-powered one, but it was an older one, so it was hard to steer, so I thought I pulled a muscle. It would only ache um, if I lifted something up with my right hand. I'm left-handed, so that's not usually a hand that I use too much, especially for lifting anything. So I didn't think anything of it, and this proceeded for a few days. Finally, it was a Thursday night, and I went out to dinner and had ate a lot more than I normally did. And then around 10 o'clock, I had the most severe chest pain I've ever had in my life. And I blamed it on just eating too much and indigestion and whatnot. But the next morning, uh, that pain was persistent. It wasn't going away. 
So I asked one of the physicians in the clinic that I was working on, I said, I've had some chest discomfort for a few days. I said, could you check it out? So he listened and he says, you know what? Just to be safe, let's let's hook you up to our EKG machine and take a look. You know, we're thankful that we had one of those things. So he hooked me up, they ran the test, they looked at the test, they were a little bit perplexed. Uh, they thought the device was malfunctioning. So they said, let's run it again. So they recalibrated everything and they ran the test again and the results came out the same. So they sent the results to a cardiologist at a local hospital in Windsor, Ontario. And a few minutes later, the cardiologist called back and said, tell Michael to get his butt to the hospital right now. And then he called back. Then the doctor called back two minutes later and said, and remind Michael, he cannot drive here. So at that point, I'm thinking, hmm, something's up. And so uh, my wife at the time picked me up and drove me to the hospital and I was there for a week. So one of the challenges, and I know healthcare is a, is a hot button issue uh, in the States as it is in Canada, uh, but one of the challenges of the healthcare system in Canada is while we have access to the same types of things that you would in, in the States, it's not the same volume. So unfortunately, a cardiologist, there's only so many hours a cardiologist can, can work um, you know, because of funding and, and whatnot. So I got there on a Friday night. Uh, cardiologist wasn't working on the weekend, so I was hooked up to an IV and, and they were monitoring me and making sure everything was good. And afterwards, um, they basically said, okay, we're gonna do an angiogram and we're gonna do it on Monday. Unfortunately, there was delays and there were so many people that were waiting for, uh, you know, an angiogram or whatnot. It got delayed till Tuesday. So they went in, they took a look and they found two blockages in my left anterior descending artery. Now, again, some of the challenges of the Canadian healthcare system, the cardiologist that did the angiogram was not licensed to do an angioplasty, which is actually going in and putting stents inside of your artery. That was a different cardiologist. So that procedure wasn't going to be done until Wednesday. So they had to go in twice, um, which uh, basically were how they went in for me is they um, went in through my lower abdomen area and then went up and you know put balloons in my arteries and, and whatnot and installed everything. The one takeaway and probably the, the most frustrating or difficult moment of my entire experience in the hospital was they had to make sure that the wound where they went in to do the angiogram wouldn't seal up so they could go back in the next day to do the, uh, the installation of the stents into the heart. So they had to be very careful about you know, getting it to seal up, but not seal up really completely. What had happened is I was bleeding quite a bit. So, and they were trying to get the bleeding under control and they were having some problems with that. So the solution that they had to use was I had to be vice gripped laying on my back in my bed for a period of seven hours. So focus on a vice grip that you can pick up at Lowe's or Home Depot and you're laying flat on your back and you cannot move for seven hours. I can't even sit still for two minutes. Yeah. I it, I can't even imagine. It was, they offered me. Talk about being irritable. Yeah. Oh my God. They, well, and two, you know, they want to keep you hydrated. So you're in a situation where, okay, yeah, if I need to use the washroom, um, that's a pretty long strip to not have to. I mean, normally if you sleep eight hours, then you're able to do it. But, you know, they had to balance that accordingly. 
But just laying there on my back going, okay, this is not a lot of fun. Um, you know, they offered, would you like, you know, some, you know, some pain medication, sedation, and I, I refused it. And because I'm like, I don't want to be groggy on anything. So um, I just laid there. Uh, and finally, they, you know, they took the vice off and, you know, the bleeding had stopped. Um, so they went in uh, the next day and I met with the cardiologist that was performing the angioplasty. Uh, Dr. Morsey, and he asked me why I was still there. And I kind of looked at him perplexed. He said, because you haven't put the stents in my artery yet. That's why I'm still here. He said, no, no, no. The type of heart attack you've had is in the left anterior descending artery. In the cardiology world, they refer to that artery as the widow maker because people that have heart attacks and blockages in that artery don't tend to survive. Now, as I'm talking to you right now, I'm taking my pulse, so I'm still alive. Uh, so I'm very thankful for that, and I don't take that uh, for granted. So the blockages were uh, 60% and 90%. So they put two stents in, and I went home the next day. And then I was off of work for 17 weeks to recover. I'm thankful um, that I had that opportunity uh, to go on basically, basically unemployment, uh, what they, they call it employment insurance in Canada, but basically unemployment for a period of 17 weeks where you get a good chunk of your normal pay. So that could allow me to actually focus on you know, getting healthy again. Uh, and then after after that experience, uh, my employer you know made some decisions while I was away. There was some mistakes that I had made. I'm not going to debate whether or not they were worthy of me being terminated. But long story short, the organization let me go. Reminder: This is 2009, so we are at the tail end of the economic crash in 2008, where in the United States, you know, people were losing their homes left and right, and job markets and mortgages and all of that was a really rough period for for a lot of people so being in the windsor ontario area that mimicked detroit and if you recall the government had to bail out general motors and chrysler uh, because they were they were about to go away and the economic uh, fallout from that would have been catastrophic um, so the government obviously bailed those two organizations out so here i was you know basically 18 weeks after having a pretty significant heart attack and unemployed so I started the job search and I went on a variety of different interviews and, um, and basically felt like a bridesmaid and never the bride because I came in second place uh, probably eight or nine times for interviews. It was that close. But again, very competitive period of time because there wasn't as many jobs out there as, as there used to be. So finally, after being out of work from October of 2009 until uh, the spring of 2010, I decided to look at Toronto. I didn't want to work in Toronto or live in Toronto because it was a big city. You know, I had worked in Chicago and Detroit, and I really wasn't focused on you know, being part of, quote unquote, the rat race. Uh, but once I got past that, I need to look and see what's available in Toronto. It was almost instantaneously I found a new job and got back into, ironically, the healthcare field. A lot of people questioned me about that. And I said, wait a minute, this is a job that nearly killed you. Why in the world are you going back to it? And my thought process at the time was, I'm going to do this differently. I need to learn what I did wrong. 
And over the last eight years, I figured out what I was doing wrong and the areas that I needed to focus on and what I needed to change, both personally and how I approach work and also how I approach life. My background has always been being a very giving person. I get that from my parents. Um, they're very generous and have been very supportive, not only to myself, but to you know the U.S. veterans and charity, and they just constantly are giving. And I was the same, but unfortunately, I was giving, 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 but I never gave anything to myself and didn't have any boundaries. And that's what led to 369 days of worst case scenarios. Wow. Michael, I've never shared, well, I've shared that I've lost my job on the podcast and I shared that I had had my own health crisis. It was actually right about the same, well, not in the same months, but in the same period of time. I had a, I had been neglecting my health. I, I have hypothyroidism. I had been sleeping two to three hours a night and not taking my thyroid medicine for an extended period of time. And I ended up starting to hallucinate and I got suicidal. So I was put into the mental hospital and at the very beginning of 2008. That was a very expensive way to start the journey of self-care. Listeners, take care of yourself. It would have been cheaper for me to take a two-month or a two-week vacation to Hawaii than it was to go to the mental hospital where I actually, personally, I don't feel I got the care I needed. But I, I went back to work. I was out of work for six weeks, went back to work, and later that year lost my job because of mistakes that had been made. And I won't deny that I had made mistakes, but I was overworked. I didn't have the support I needed. Mistakes were made and I lost my job. But that ended up being one of the best things to happen to me. I never went back to interior design. I tried to, but it just... uh. It wasn't where my heart was calling me, but it, it took, that was the beginning of a whole new life mm -hmm. for me. And yeah, we definitely have similar, similar paths when it comes to that. Because for me, even going back into, you know, the field that a lot of people, you know, felt at least, you know, from the outside point of view, um, was killing me. Um, there were other factors involved um, and not taking care of myself. Yeah, thankfully, you know, with... With the way the healthcare system is funded here, um, when I left the hospital, I didn't have a medical bill um, to deal with. If I would have living in the states, I probably would have been looking at at least a hundred. Yeah, at least yeah. you know several hundred thousand for sure. So there's, but our sales tax is thirteen percent on everything pretty much we buy. So you're paying for it. It's, you know, mm -hmm. so anybody anybody that thinks that the, the Canadian healthcare system is free, um, not quite. Um, there's pluses. Well, and I had minuses. no idea that you had to wait like that. That's that blows yeah. my mind. Yeah, I mean, I had the heart. You know, basically they they figured that I had the the physical heart attack that Thursday evening and um, didn't have the actual procedure done until the following Wednesday. So I was, you know, I was in a hospital bed for almost a week. You know, we're in you know, different models. You know, the U.S. system, the idea is, no, we want to get you in the bed and get you out of the bed and get you home. because It's like a restaurant and they're yeah, waiting exactly. for another person to come in and, exactly. and put yes. more money in their pocket. So yeah. I was tying up a bed. Now, if somebody else, you know, needed that bed, then who knows what they would have had to done. You know, they would have put them in a different ward or who knows what. But yeah, again, a very similar path where not taking care of yourself and not recognizing signs of burnout and being walked over and toxic relationships or anything like that, they take a toll and it's slow. It's slow. It's similar to you know cooking a lobster. Yeah, the water's cold when the lobster first goes in, but eventually it starts warming up to the point where we all know what happens to the lobster. And that's basically the same thing that happened to me. And so I've used that experience, and I would also say it was the best thing that ever happened to me. 
um, because it literally saved my life and it gave me a second chance to do the things that I wanted to do and what I'm called to do. So when I launched my organization, Breakfast Leadership, my focus was, okay, I need to help save as many leaders' lives as I can possibly save because I see so many examples of my counterparts, not only in the healthcare field, but in other industries are just going crazy and burning themselves out because they feel, and it may not be true, but they feel that they have all of these things that they have to accomplish. So they take it on themselves and they try to do everything and they try to get it done and they don't take any time to rest. They don't know how to say no. Uh, they don't communicate with their boss in a proper way to figure out what exactly are the priorities and do those things. I, I'm In my career now, I accomplish a lot more in my role than I did eight years ago. And I'm doing a lot less because I've learned how to delegate. I've learned how to say no. I've learned how to manage my time. Not only that, but I know where my energy levels are and I know when I'm most productive and when I'm not. I am a huge fan of triaging, using a medical term, my calendar. You know, I, I know when I like to have meetings. I know when I like to have phone calls. I know when and to take lunch. Yes, lunch is on my calendar. I have it on my calendar every day. Um, I try to be consistent to when I take my lunch. And I typically leave the office to eat my lunch. I'm going to have to borrow that because in full disclosure... I've had a mini Hershey bar to eat today, and we're already at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> yeah, that's that's one of the benefits of Halloween. You'll be eating the mini ones for a little bit, but then eventually that inventory runs out, and you're going to have to go to the full-size bar. Yes. I think they're... <laughs> I think they're I, I think they're two hundred sixty calories for those that are counting. I don't recall for sure, but two sixty seems to be a number that jumps out at me on the Snickers bar. I could be wrong, um, but yeah, it's for me. You know, I, I I knew that you know we had our chat today, and um, I made sure you know to to grab some food beforehand, and I just do it. It's I I, I think no, it's time to take a break. And what's comical, especially in this industry that I'm in now with the healthcare world. Oftentimes, if there's webinars or trainings or things like that, they book them at 12 o'clock. So 12 to 1. So they make it kind of a working lunch type of deal. Because somewhere along the line, my counterparts said, I don't have time to do it after that. So you're going to do it during your lunch hour and you're not going to take a break? Book the time at 1 o'clock or 1.30 or 2 o'clock. Is it in the middle of the day? Yes. It's a meeting. Block it off. Do it. So many of my counterparts are afraid that their boss is going to be mad at them because they're attending a webinar or a leadership training or something and it's during the day. Okay. I'm blown away because I went through the same thing. I mean, it was lunch and learns. Right. Yeah. Like they would bring a lot of the cases when I was interior design. It was lunch and learns. We were expected to go. Right. But we would never have a break because we wouldn't take one because we were afraid our boss would like freak out if we left the office. But we really needed that break. You you have to. You um, are. You know, our, our cycles are, you know, you, you know, your energy levels go up and down. And one of the things that I coach people on and, and it amazes me again is how few of us know how we truly spend our days. We go into work, we do our work things, and then we go home eventually. But then we say, okay, well, how did you spend your day? And they can recite off a couple things that they've done, but they don't necessarily track everything unless they're, you know, in timesheet world where they have to track billable hours and whatnot. That's different. 
But for me, I, I learned that I have energy levels in the morning. I tend to be more productive in the morning. So I load my mornings up with the tasks that I need to work on that day. Keep them to two or three. Yes, if your to-do list is 20 items, I can guarantee you're not going to get 20 items done today unless they're really simplistic things and you're just one of those people that like to check things off of a checklist, then sure, you'll be able to do it. But for me, it's like, okay, what do I need to work on today um, that will help accomplish whatever projects or goals that I have, whether it's through you know my day job or it, you know in the evenings and the weekends, the things that I'm doing for breakfast leadership. And understanding my rhythms and energy levels and match them up. There's going to be days where you don't feel like doing it and don't beat yourself up over it. If you've got so tight deadlines that you're not able to accomplish it, then you definitely need to have a conversation with your boss or your client and say these are unrealistic and, and lay the reasons out why. I always tell people don't don't get too confrontational with your supervisors, but have a have a heart to heart um, and you know put the pride aside and just say okay let's let's take a look and just find out what's what's really important what's what's their goal because. Even the people that report to me and work for me, I'll, I'll notice that they'll sometimes kind of lean into that area where they're trying to do too much. And I'm asking them, why are you trying to do six things today? Pick two, pick three. You know, you know your goals. I try to give as much slack time as possible to allow them to do their job. But, you know, time management is um, sometimes I think an oxymoron. It uh, doesn't really happen. If you overload yourself with stuff, you'll never get anything done. Michael, I actually let one of my clients go this week. In full disclosure, it was probably my highest revenue client for the whole year. Go. And it's funny that you say Slack because the second you said it, all I could think was Slack, the messaging and project management. It's, it's sorry, Slack, you're not my favorite tool. However, I had to let her go for a variety of reasons, but one of them was because it became an expectation to be working nights and weekends. And if I'm going to be modeling, if, if I'm building the positive productivity brand to help people get away from that, then I can't be accepting that here. And I also started to realize that the more I did it, the more it would be expected from me. And even though I addressed it, I said, you know, I'm not available weekends because I have a family, especially during soccer season. The response was, well, how long does that last? It doesn't matter how long it lasts. This, I didn't go into, I didn't start my own business to work nights and weekends. Does that mean I don't? No, but I didn't sell my services to you to work nights and weekends. And it, I became resentful of the little slack sound, getting a new message coming in. And I don't want to feel like that. No, that's you want clients that one, you know, you'll be able to serve and two that are open and willing to take your guidance to improve their lives, whether it's from in my situation on boundaries and learning how to better spend your day or being positive in the work or even you know, email marketing management, all whatever the case may be, you want that client uh, to be willing to do it and also like-minded because if you have 
a client that's taking up 80, you know, the 80, 20 rule. If you have a client that's taking up 80% of your time, then they better be a really good client and they better be paying well and you better be enjoying the work. Otherwise you'd be better off, you know, getting rid of like you did, you know, the, the one client and pick up three or four that understand that yes, you have a life outside of your career and family obligations and all of that. Because at the end of the day, I don't think anyone has ever said, you know, when they're, you know, in their final days, boy, I wish I worked more. I don't think anybody has ever said that. I'm sure there's people that said, I wish I would have accomplished more in this area or that area. But at the end of the day, we, we work, we give, we do the things in our, our jobs and our careers to help others uh, become better at whatever they do or help them in a variety of different ways, but not at the cost of us. And that's what happened to me. I was doing all of those things at a cost of me. And I stopped that. No, no more. Yeah. No more nights. No more weekends. I don't have email. I can access my work email on my phone, but as a choice to go get it, it doesn't automatically deliver. Um, so I have to physically go in, log in, look at it if I want to. Um, but I don't check them at nights and weekends and I don't send my staff emails at nights or weekends because I don't want them on their email either. Uh, it's, it, we're not, we're not an emergency room. Uh, we're in primary health care. It's, it's not dire straits. Uh, so, you know, if we were an emergency room, I guess it would be a different uh, scenario, but even for my clients and coaching clients there, there shouldn't be something urgent. Um, you know, although I would be available if, if they needed an urgent case, but there normally shouldn't be. So there's it, good on you for, for establishing that boundary with that client and saying, no, um, I'm not going to let the financial impact of this drive, you know, the, the physical impact that it would be causing. Well, one, one thing that I found, and thank you for that, by the way, I, um, I, I found that clients who are working in scarcity mode are also, are often the, the most frantic and, one thing that I've, I mean, in the digital marketing and infusion stuff side, we really need to be well prepared for any side of our business. We need to be well prepared. We need to think about our plan. And if we lay it out well enough, then there won't be that emergency. As you said, I mean, unless we're physically working in the emergency room or in the police station or fire station, you know, we shouldn't have those fires to be put out. If I hear that there is an Infusionsoft disaster, yes, I will get in as soon as I possibly can and fix it because I understand that there's revenue on the line. However, the biggest point, uh, the the kick for me here was that I set up a conversation to discuss how we needed to pre-plan. And I was told, okay, well, we'll meet at a certain time. And I actually told my family, I have to have this call. And then it got delayed a half hour. And then it got delayed another half hour. Four hours went by one evening waiting for this phone call to happen where I was telling my family, I'll be out in a few minutes. And the phone call never took place with no explanation. And that was definitely one of the final couple straws. I realized, no, I'm just, you know, I'm trying to be positively productive here and have a conversation about this. And let me tell you what a huge sense, sense of relief it's been this week, having that out. I can imagine. And I can hear it in your voice, too. It's, uh, there's, sure, whenever you, you know, cut loose a, a client um, that especially is, a, you know, revenue generating, you know, there, it's it's human nature to to think about the, you know, the financial impact that does. But you know what? I, I think it allows you to focus and, and serve your other clients better because you're not... 
you're not focusing on that one uh, problem client that was draining your energy, mm-hmm. quite frankly, and um, your attention span. Now they're uh, no longer a concern and you can focus on other ones and that will show in your work and through referrals and you know, other other mechanisms where you, you get new clients, you'll find the right ones. And that's when you have that opportunity to you know, run your own organization, you get to choose who you work with. Um, that's, that's your choice. You get to do that. And there's many factors that you can focus on, but you know, one of the things is likability. It's people work with people that they know, like, and trust, and makes it a lot easier to you know, go about your, your daily lives and your, your career when you're working on things and working with people that you enjoy working with. It, it, it makes all the difference in the world. Oh, without a doubt. I know, like, and trust. That is huge with my team. Like, I, I want my team to be able to tell me what they want to work on, because if even if I bring them in to do a specific activity, Activity because I don't know about you, but I've taken on work in my self-employment journey that I probably wouldn't have taken just because I really needed money. That was back in the scarcity mode days. If that's why somebody comes onto my team and we get along really well, then I want to know what they want to do. What am I doing that you would love to learn? So they know what I'm doing. They're liking what I'm doing. Now, like, now let's build that relationship of trust where you know you can have the communication to tell me what you want to do. And I'll help you grow. And that's how I want to see it with any clients. But we have to know, listeners, we have to know that we have the right to say no. So I love that you've already brought that up in the conversation. We have the right to say no. Michael, and I'm sure the same is for you. If your current employer sent a referral for you, which I know wouldn't be the case with this job, but saying, oh yeah, hire Michael because he will work every evening and weekend to get the job done. That's not the referral that we want. Absolutely not. Yeah, that's a, no, my my nights and weekends are at best sacred land. Um, and and it's, it's rare, but there are times that you know, I have to do uh, some work, especially, you know, when you have a day job, you know, your nights are going to be tied up with, you know, building your brand and your business. And, and it's been a busy season for me. And over the last year with, you know, completing my book and getting the business up and running and working with people, yes, there's going to be some, some nights and some weekends. Um, I think it was Rick Warren and I could be completely wrong on this, but I believe it was, uh, Rick Warren, the pastor out at Saddleback out in California, uh, who, you know, indicated that he doesn't want to be away from home more than three nights a week. Uh, and that's something that I've kind of adopted now with uh, my recent travel schedule that that has failed miserably. But there's going to be seasons where we are going to have to work on things. My original career was in accounting. So tax season, um, yeah, those were some long days and weekends. But it's the expectation of the role. Uh, so if you're in a career path where you have specific seasons that require you to work more, that's understandable. But the key thing is just to make sure you focus on your energy. Don't take shortcuts when it comes to your activity or in your nutrition. Uh, that's if, if anyone takes anything away from this, make sure you're active, make sure you're eating properly because it does take a toll. Um, you don't want to have two clogged arteries. It's not a, it's not a fun day in the park for sure. Uh, you just inspired me to start thinking about dinner when this phone call is done. Listeners, I have not placed my grocery order yet this week, so I don't know what we're eating tonight or tomorrow or anytime this week. <laughs> 
I, I think in school they called that chef's choice. So. Yeah, but chef's choice tends to be a little bit lazy in my house, so, uh, fully contributing to the two-clogged artery diet. So we cannot do that anymore this week. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. In our pre-chat, we were talking about how we share the similarity of monitoring our information intake. I think that's the best way that I can really mm -hmm. share it. You know, we, we're really careful about what we're exposing ourselves to. You and I both do it. We're, we're monitoring how much, how much, if any, news we're watching and where we're getting information com coming from just to keep ourselves positive. In the evening, is there a certain period of time that you spend away from any electronics before you go to sleep? And how much sleep are you getting now? Uh, I'm getting... Anywhere from seven to eight hours a night of uh, sleeping, uh, depending on seasonal allergies is something that I, I deal with from time to time. So sometimes that impacts uh, my sleep. But for the most part, it's seven to eight hours. Um, my, my phone has a an app that reminds me of what time I'm supposed to go to bed. More often than not, I'm turning in before that, but it'll, it will at least alert me saying it's time to go to bed. What app do you um, use, Michael? Very similar. Uh, it's, I have an iPhone, so there's actually a, um, a bedtime app in the oh, clock I love that. settings I use that too. where you can set. Yeah. So it's, and actually last evening, I was actually out past my bedtime. Uh, my daughter was coming back from an out of town trip. So I never noticed it before, but I, I had the, um, on my phone, I usually keep it on vibrate, but I actually had it on ringtone and it started to play a little bit of a lullaby song. And I'm like, what in the world is this? And I looked, and it's like, oh, it's time to go to bed. It's like, I didn't even know it played a lullaby song, but it reminded me of, you know, when my dad telling my brother and I, it was time to go to bed. Um, he used to do a trick on his watch. He said, here, guess what time it is? What? And he'd hold his watch up to our ear and then he'd whisper in our ear bedtime 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 so that's something he did when we were little i still remember that so it was similar to the phone kind of you know yelling at me saying it's time to go to bed but yeah sleep is crucial um it, it lets you re-energize and um i i do my best not to um, you know, use electronics. Uh, full disclosure, though, um, I will, um, and this is something that goes back to my early days and teenage years. I love sports, and I would listen to AM radio and listen to baseball games or hockey games or whatever on at night. So it's kind of background noise for me a little bit before I go to sleep. So I do that on, I've got an iPad, so I stream, you know, whatever sporting events are uh, available to me. So I'll, I'll, sometimes I'll do that. And more often than not, I'll shut it off before I fall asleep. But I'll, if it's a screen, I'll turn the screen away from me. So I'm not getting the blue light from the screen on it. Uh, so that's, I'm using technology to kind of continue a trend. But for the most part, I will shut it off before I, I fall asleep. But I do try to step away from Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all of that stuff uh, no later than eight o'clock um, so that way I can kind of wind down um, and get you know get my mind away from those things because when you're an entrepreneur and you know this um, sometimes getting your brain to shut off uh, and all of the creative things that you want to do with your organization uh, easier said than done so I had to set a personal boundary for me to say enough shut it off don't do it and even in the weekends, um, you know, especially after this uh, travel blitz that I've been going through, I've purposely, you know, in the last couple of weekends anyway, 
I really haven't done anything uh, with breakfast leadership as far as new initiatives or things like that. I've scheduled a lot of things, but uh, I've purposely stayed away from training and information and whatnot. But going back to what you, you alluded to about controlling the information, things that I listen to, uh, whether it's podcasts or blogs that I read or news articles or whatnot, I'm very specific on what I'll take in because I want it to be information that is either beneficial to me or beneficial to loved ones or beneficial to clients. So I don't look at the typical mainstream news sites um, unless there's some type of world incident that comes up. But more often than not, I can you know, get that uh, information from either Twitter, quite frankly, or even Facebook. You know, there'll be a news feed on the side and you can see you know, what's going Sometimes on. Sometimes I wish world. I could turn uh, that off. I do too, um, because it pops up and you see it. Uh, I wish there was a way you could filter that out because, yeah, it's, you know, the world is a rough place. There's a lot of challenges going on both in North America and across the planet. And, you know, that unfortunately hasn't changed and it may not change for some time. But for me, I, I do my best to try to filter as much of that away and just focus on you know, the task at hand. And this is something that's taken time for me too, is try to get away from aimlessly searching and, you know, playing on the web. Facebook is is one where you can get lost in it. Same thing with with Twitter. And and over the years, what I've done too, as far as Twitter followers are concerned, is I follow people again that I think are would be beneficial to my clients, myself, um, or family members or whatnot, just to get the information I think that would be beneficial. I love sharing resources and, and, and tips to help people become better at what they do. And again, it, it, it's it's almost like you know you're you've you have this money and you're going to the investment banker and you obviously want that money to grow. It's the same thing with information. You're investing in your brain. Invest the information that's going to make your brain grow. That doesn't mean don't watch a comedy show. Uh, that doesn't mean don't go to the movies. That doesn't mean anything like that. I do all of those things. I watch sporting events. Not happy about the Dodgers losing, but thrilled for Houston to win a championship, especially after what has transpired uh, in Houston in, in recent months. Uh, it's kind of a a feel-good story for, for that community. So congratulations to the Astros. But again, those are things that I watch and do for entertainment purposes. If you are constantly working and just looking at things that are work-based, then that's that's going to be a problem too. You got to balance things out and don't beat yourself up if you don't get it right on a particular day. Uh, you can wake up tomorrow morning and start again. I have to say, I don't watch much TV at all. I'm, I'm addicted to Game of Thrones and Orange is the New Black. And then I recently got into This Is Us, but that will be my limit. Last night, I was looking forward to taking the evening off and pulling up This Is Us on Hulu to watch this past week's episode. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't find my Roku remote and I couldn't get it to work on my phone. So it was actually a TV-less night period in my house. Yes, I realized I could have gone to Hulu on my computer. However, that interferes with work and I and I multitask way too much. No, I am not working on client work in the evening for the most part. However, that is that has been a big shift for me is just shutting down even client work at five o'clock. And if I'm going to be working in the evening, it's something for me to be building my own personal brand. I went through three and a half years 
of working 60 to 80 hours a week on only client work. And I would, I would literally cry to my husband. I know what I want to do. I want to build something for me, but I don't have any time. I don't have any time. And that was looking back, it was being in scarcity mindset. We're not going to have the time unless we make the time. So I love, I mean, this circles right back around, around to what you were saying earlier about starting with the simple things like blocking out lunch and then start blocking off the evenings. And soon enough, you can block off the whole morning if you're self-employed anyway. Or Michael, you even said, you know what time of day you're most productive. I've now blocked off every single morning from nine to 12 where nobody can schedule appointments then. And it feels so incredible. Yep, yeah. It's scheduling the time for you. Um, I know, you know, during our, our pre-chat, we talked about Michael Hyatt and I followed Michael since 2007, if not before. And, you know, a couple of things he, you know, talks about is, you know, what gets scheduled gets done and make sure that you schedule, you know, I think he uses the phrase slack time, not, not the app, but just some elbow time. And, you know, for me, I also, you know, schedule breaks and I know, and this is one of the things that my family doctor told me after my heart attack, he says, you are going to be more aware of your body than you've ever been in your life. And it's completely true. Um, you know, I'm not a hypochondriac by any stretch, but I'll notice things will feel differently. I'm like, hmm, okay, Let's see if that persists or if it's just something out of the ordinary. But I also know when my energy levels are, are dropping off or if I've had a particularly busy season that I need to go through my calendar and say, okay, I need to start blocking off some time just to do nothing. Yeah, you can schedule that too. Uh, just a you know, a do nothing. Go outside for a walk or um, read. I wouldn't even say read a book. Just literally, you know, if you're into meditation or prayer, do that. Schedule that. I know some people think I'm going to schedule that. Yeah, if you schedule it. Now, of course, you can scale things back, especially when it becomes to a routine. Now, I don't have brush my teeth on my calendar. I I'm good at that, so I, I that's been conditioned in me. Thank you, mom and dad. Um, so I know when I'm going to be doing that. Uh, but for some people, it's, you know, even tracking that, if it's a challenge for them, schedule it. It's, it turns into a routine and then you will uh, master it and it'll become automatic for you. And it helps with me and, and how I spend my days and nights and weekends. It's crucial. Michael, I want to circle back around to one other thing you said earlier before I ask where listeners can find mm -hmm. you online. And this has been an incredible conversation so far, by the way. Thank you very much. I know you've been on my list for a while, but I, it just occurred to me that I don't think I ever announced it to the list that I have the seven day positive productivity planner out there. And one of the features that I made sure to put into the planner is there's a personal to do section and a professional to do section. And there's only a line for three items in each section, because I realized, just like you were saying before, my to-do list, every single day I would load it up with like 25, 30 items. And at the end of the day, I might have seen one or two or three items get accomplished. And it, there was just no way I was going to get more than that done. And it felt a little frustrating to say the least, because I felt like I should have been doing more. But we have to be real with ourselves and give us give ourselves that grace to know we can do what we can do. Listeners, in the show notes, you'll find links to everything that Michael's talked about and links to where you can find him. And I'm also going to put a link to the, the free seven-day version of the Positive Productivity Planner. M Michael, I apologize for the plug, but I suppose I can do it on my own show. 
And you can f- <laughs> yes, you have that. You liberty. can find the show notes at thekimsutton.com forward slash pp192. Michael, you have been so incredibly generous with your time today. Where can listeners find you online? Find out about your book. I'm. We're just going to have to have you back. I'm. I'm talking about myself in the plural now. I'm going to have to bring you back just to talk about your book and your podcast because there's so much more great there. Mm-hmm. But where can listeners find you online and connect? Uh, thank you, Kim. Uh, they can find me at breakfastleadership.com. And as a token of appreciation to your audience, if they go to breakfastleadership.com slash positive, they can get a free digital copy of my book, 369 Days, How to Survive a Year of Worst Case Scenarios. So you just go there and fill out your information and you'll get a link on uh, how to download that book. That's incredible. I love that. Yep. There you go. Sorry about that. I probably should have said that in the preach call, but uh, no, it's, that's something that I definitely want to do because again, I think it's, it's a good, a good source for people to, to read and learn about what happened to me and know that, okay, yeah, many people go through similar situations. Job loss, of course, is a big one and how, you know, how I navigated through it and hopefully it can provide some, some inspiration. There's humor in it. There's all kinds of different things in it. So I'm more than happy to share it with Thank you with so your much. Michael, do you have a last piece of parting advice before we end today's show that you can offer to listeners? I do. I know many of us, especially in leadership, and it doesn't matter what your your career path is or you know what you do for a living. All of us are very giving and we want to help people. That's part of our DNA. But the important thing is, and this does not come off as being selfish, but you have to give to yourself first, because if you don't, there won't be anything left for you to give to others. So take care of yourself. Know what needs to be done for yourself to make sure that you're getting everything that you need out of life. And believe me, with the, when you do that, you will be able to give more than you've ever thought you could. Mm-hmm.